spend my dollar. It's not about what you want, it's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. Alabama wins! What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to an If Loving You Is Wrong, I Don't Want to Be Right edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Interesting tagline, right? Well, yeah, me too. I thought Tell the Two Cities, but that's a little hack for a game like this. A Quentin Tarantino edition of the podcast. That hits the point that this game's story is best told as a series of vignettes. But Quentin's darkness was a little too much brooding for a win such as this. A Mike Tyson edition. Now that tells a story. A boxer, never a technical marvel, capable of stacking a career on overwhelming brutality. But through the fog and haze, the soulful lyrics of Luther Ingram set the right scene. This is a game, an outcome, an experience you can get lost in. Even if the voters and pundits or parents and friends don't abide, yes, even though we have SEC-level responsibilities ahead of us. If I can't enjoy this play when I want, I'll enjoy it when I can. I could also call it a family beach edition of the podcast. So for that reason, let's get this abbreviated version rolling. So let's jump in like we do on offense. And we're going to talk about Bryce because we have to. I think it's in the podcast bylaws. We always have to start with a quarterback. But we don't have a lot to say about Bryce. He threw two interceptions for the first time since the Georgia game. So that's about as much of a parallel as we'll find between those games. But his play was solid. Wasn't outstanding. It wasn't spectacular. Uh, it was solid. He had three passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown, and he did not look pleased that he ran for that uh, rushing touchdown. Uh, I think he wanted to share the wealth, give the ball to someone else. Not exactly sure, but uh, or maybe he saw a receiver just as he was streaking across uh, the line of scrimmage and wishes they had thrown the ball. I don't know the answer to any of those questions. I know that Bryce is outstanding and has played as such this season. His numbers don't always reflect that. But he's certainly a guy we'd rather have on our squad. Uh, and the fact that Alabama put up 63 when Bryce had such a, uh, I'm going to call it a pedestrian day, is certainly uh, a testament to the strength of Alabama. Uh, Jameer Gibbs, we've said this before and we'll say it every week, he may be the most uh, explosive, dynamic uh, weapon on the Tides offense. While he only had uh, four carries for 36 yards, he also had four catches for 65 yards and a touchdown, and he had 50-some-odd yards in a return game. And I would say those were legit. He didn't just run it out to the 23 and got to count those uh, while the team lost two. Uh, He had a single carry, uh, and it was a legit 57-yarder, so he took it across uh, midfield. I give all the credit in the world for that. Do we need him to do that in a game like this? No. Was it fun to watch? Hell yeah. So uh, that's my thought on uh, Jamar. I think he is sort of something on a on, on a pitch count, if, if you will, which I think is fine. I think he was at Georgia Tech. He probably is here. I don't have a problem with it. He is a mismatch weapon. We can use him a lot of different ways. And if we wake up one day and he has a 225-yard total offensive uh, day, I don't think that's going to surprise uh, anyone. Roy Dill Williams, I thought, was our most, I won't say dynamic from an athletic standpoint. I think that's Jamar Gibbs. But our most dominant running back, or the Tide's most dominant running back on Saturday, I thought was Roy Dale Williams. Uh, he, he's an enigma. 
Uh, he'll have really strong games and look just as good as anyone else, and then he'll have a fumble. Although last week, uh, say what you will about the play call, I love the play call. I love the layering nuance uh, of the run on fourth down. I just wish uh, Roydell had hit the hole stronger. Uh, but that opportunity he had last week really sort of demonstrates the confidence that the coaching staff has him has in him. And then Roy will do something sort of the other uh, the other way, and 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 he fumbled the ball Saturday. And so is as dominant, as physical, uh, as much of a contribution as he had in the running game, eight, eight carries, 58 yards, and a touchdown. That fumble makes it hard for him, uh, and then not to mention the players ahead of him, makes it hard for him to come out of that number three slot. But his physicality, and, and he's, he's dominant in that capacity, that's a skill set that he brings that the other two running backs have, but they don't exercise in quite the same way. Roydell is not afraid to lower his head and uh, run run into the line of scrimmage. And I think that's something that Tide fans should watch for. When he comes in, uh, he's a very physical runner, and uh, I think he's nearly as dynamic uh, as the other guys. Uh, freshman Jamarian Miller, he's the fifth or sixth, depending upon how you count all the ball carriers. He had four for 51. He's an explosive uh, player when he gets to the edge. He's not afraid to, to go in there and mix it up, too. He's going to be a fella that – I think Alabama coaching staffs, and this is the type of commentary that, that Saban doesn't like, but as fans, we need to think about this in, in terms of the sort of the larger context of the roster and player movement, and especially in this era of the transfer portal. Jamarian Miller, I think, is a player that the Alabama coaches need to find a way to keep him active and interested in, in Alabama, keep him active and, and progressing up the depth chart, or he's a player that transfers. Uh, as we bring in new recruits and fans start to get excited about the next shiny object, a player like that tends to uh, historically tends to transfer out. And I think Jamarian is a talent that we want to to stick around in Tuscaloosa. So it'll be interesting to see as we get into SEC play. We typically tighten the the bench, and he is well down fifth or sixth in the pecking order. So it'll be interesting to see how opportunities are identified and created for uh, Mr. Miller at the running back position. The tight end, I love the tight end play that we're seeing with Cam Latou back and uh, Amari Nablack really sort of burst on the team uh, on the scene Saturday, which was phenomenal. But I want to go back to Cam. I think he's our most well-rounded tight end, and uh, and I thought he really demonstrated that on Saturday. He had three carries for 51 uh, yards. He had a long of 38, and I can't emphasize that catch that he had. It was down the sideline. It was over other receivers. So we kind of mossed him in a way. He turned around, went up over the receiver, uh, caught the ball. It was a big play. Uh, good ball placement where only Cam could catch it. So a lot of accuracy there on the on the uh, on the throw and a lot of natural receiver capability that uh, Latou demonstrated in hauling in that ball. I will also emphasize that that is nearly almost the exact same play that Bryce tried to hit Cameron Latou on against Texas. And just if he had another heartbeat to set his feet and throw the ball and, and follow through on the throw instead of throwing off his back foot, that would have been a big catch, a big reception, uh, 25, 30 yards uh, against Texas on a, on a possession where Alabama otherwise punted. And so we're going to get to the offensive line because I do think these dots connect. These are, these are tightly uh, ingrained or inter integrated uh, sort of philosophies. And so I think that I think Cam is a weapon. He can be a, a weapon down the sideline. He demonstrated Saturday that he can go up and get the ball. You can say all you want to about it being La Moreau. Uh, that's fine. I'm going to tell you the physicality 
with a receiver in his hip pocket for him to go up and get the ball. It does not matter who the defender is. That was a big league play that uh, that Cam made there. And he is going to draw those mis- mismatches. It's either going to be a linebacker that he's more athletic than, or it's going to be a be a DB that he's going to be much bigger. And, and that's, that's sort of the magic of the tight end. When you get the right, the, the right tight end, they're almost unblockable because, uh, because of the, the skill set that they possess. And that's why it's hard to find a really, really good one. And uh, I, I think Cam is going to be uh, that for uh, the Crimson Tide. And I also think Amari Nyblack, a uh, true freshman, he had one reception for 15 yards. It was a touchdown. He's a big old boy, and he's going to be a player for the tie, too. He's another one to watch for uh, as he rolls out there, number 84. Going back uh, in in, uh, in in sort of my memory banks, he, he looks like a, a bigger Shamari Buchanan. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see how he develops. He goes 6'4", 225, big old boy, made a really nice catch in the end zone. And uh, the fact that he, that he was put in the game – and trusted as a target, uh, I think really speaks well to his, his athleticism, how he's performing in practice, what's the, what the coaches are seeing uh, to put him into that opportunity. So watch for Cam and Amari with, for all the disgruntledness, if you will, around the wide receivers. And, and I share it. The fact that some of these tight ends have an opportunity to create mismatches in, in Jameer Gibbs as well, to create mismatches in the passing game, I think is only going to open it up for wide receivers. If we see a receiver come out in the next couple of weeks and, and go for a buck 50 with two touchdowns, don't be surprised. The talent is there. It absolutely is there. Uh, we're finding other outlets for the passing game, and it's going to naturally, naturally, just like a pendulum, it's going to swing back to the wide receivers. And uh, I do like our wide receiver core. Uh, they certainly need to put in some work. Uh, no doubt, but uh, and, and and just time and reps with Bryce. Uh, but this that's gonna it's gonna round out. I'm, I'm confident that it will. But I like to see, or I like and seeing what the uh, what the passing game is, or how it's evolving, sort of in the meantime. So that'll be certainly uh, fun to watch. Uh, we can't talk Alabama offense without talking about the offensive line. And and there was a couple of sort of telling developments on Saturday. And so this is uh, a couple of areas in, in, in the area of, of podcast predictions and a couple of areas that maybe we wouldn't have uh, forecasted quite that far. We did see uh, Javon Cohen start at right guard. Okay, we had predicted that. And that was really cemented with uh, Kendall Randolph coming out wearing number 85. So he came in, he effectively started. In fact, he did start first play of the game at the tight end position uh, with Cohen at left guard. So I think that is pretty official. Uh, things could change next week. They could suit up differently. It's as easy as that. Uh, it's as easy as passing out uh, laundry. But I think to go into this game and give those reps to Javon, a game where the reps are important, they're needed to give those reps to Javon uh, or Javian instead of uh, Kendall, uh, I think I think is telling. Now, Kendall, in his own right, he played three different positions on Saturday. Uh, you could argue four. I think he did line up at both guard positions, but he played uh, tight end, guard, and tackle. I think with the second team, maybe the third team, he lined up uh, at one of the tackle spots. And so Saban is going to create a role uh, for Kendall. I think Saban has uh, – Saban likes to reward his seniors uh, and super seniors at that. He uh, Chris Owens was a good example. If they know the playbook and and they have uh, a high floor, Saban's going to put them in 
And what we need to do, or as Tide fans, and, and I would argue even the coaching staff, what we need to do is not let that loyalty hurt the team. I would argue that it did last year. I don't think that same mistake will happen this year. But we're going to find Kendall Randolph pop up in a lot of different positions. And so Saturday, the fact that he played three or four different positions across the front, including tight end, should be a no of surprise, no surprise. And we should celebrate because he has a, he has the athleticism to do it. Uh, I just think he makes better a better uh, better blocking tight end as, than he does at any other uh, of the sort of five uh, down linemen. But Cohen at, at left guard certainly certainly was telling. Certainly uh, that was uh, interesting to, to watch. But sort of a bridge a bridge farther than because we forecasted uh, Javian right. What we didn't forecast is five star true freshman six five three thirty five Tyler Booker. Uh, he was a backup at a tackle position. And it looked like that might be where his home is, and it may yet still be. But on Saturday, he was a wrecking crew at the guard position. And it seemed like the running game just really elevated itself when Booker came in at the guard position. Now, he came in for Javian Cohen, uh, which is interesting to see how that unfolded. But Booker also played some at uh, the guard position for Ekior. And so what's interesting is, is Saban says, you know, we've got a couple of three guys at those two positions. We're still competing and we need to improve our physicality at the position. So I think there were definitely some some meetings over the last couple of weeks. How do we improve our physicality at that guard position? And Booker's name probably kept coming up and coming up and coming up. And let's give him some reps at guard and let's practice him more at guard. And he looked promising today at guard. So let's start him at guard, you know, tomorrow, not in the game, but in practice. And clearly he acquitted himself very well, such that he got into the game early. And it wasn't because he had beaten out and was taking over, but he was getting a test drive on live fire with the rest of the starting line. Uh, Tyler Booker, Booker uh, was good at getting some reps, live fire with the starting offensive lineman. That's going to continue to evolve, and it's and it's going to do one of two things. It's going to be a simple sort of plug and play, uh, where Tyler Booker comes in and and starts for Javian Cohen. Well, not likely at Kior, but it could happen, uh, and so it could be a plug and play where Tyler Booker steps into one of those positions and sort of takes it over for the balance of the season. Does that happen as early as Vanderbilt? I would not surprise me. Does he play uh, against Vanderbilt? Yes, I'd be surprised if he didn't. It also could, it could signify sort of a, a ripple effect. And so if, for example, Tyler Brooker played well enough at the guard position to supplant Emil Echior, would we then maybe try Echior at center? Uh, for Dalcourt, I think uh, Dalcourt, I think there's a, a potential for that. If he were to step in at the guard position for Cohen, would Cohen, who himself is an athletic offensive lineman, would he put pressure on one of the tackle positions? Well, he could, and uh, and so that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I don't think the offensive line, and again, we said this in our offensive preseason show. The offensive line is not settled. There's going to be movement. We predicted a 40% sort of shift in positions. Now, we said that left guard would go to Cohen, and we said center would go to, to Seth McLaughlin. And there may be even more transition if Tyler Booker uh, emerges as a starter. And I'm still not ready to rule out uh, Seth McLaughlin at the center position. Uh, and if we feel like we've got three big-body physical guards uh, and we want to put one of them at center, 
and it's and it's Ekior, who some predict might be his NFL position, then um, you know all bets are off at that point. So that might be an interesting thing to watch. Uh, Seth did come in. I thought he played well. It's hard to tell if he had like truly settled down the line because there was so much transition. And at that point, uh, the game was largely over. I thought Darkert played okay, but there were a couple instances where he just looked like he was overcome by the the bull rush from La Monroe. So I do think there's still some some transition. There's still some change coming there. But uh, boy, it was interesting tectonic shifts. I would say across the offensive line Saturday continue to watch for that that's uh that's going to be a that's going to be a fun evolving storyline we're going to get to about the week six or seven and we're going to forget all of this because it's the nature of it but these are the building blocks that go into us having an outstanding offensive line by the end of the season so embrace it enjoy it track it watch it and uh, you know make your predictions we'll go from there i am going to move on to defense but before i do i'm going to hit mini game ball and i'm going to give I had a hard time finding someone, to be honest with you, uh, and that's probably telling on myself as much as it is anyone else. But I'm going to go Ja'Cory Brooks. Uh, he's been silent most most of the season. I think he had his first two catches last week. Uh, he only had one catch against Louisiana Monroe, and it happened to come on the first possession of the game. Uh, he had one catch for 29 yards. Uh, he also had a big special teams play early in the first quarter. So it's almost like he, uh, he, got, he caught a cab home uh, after the first quarter. We know that's not true, but um, uh, it it it, uh, it almost presented that way. He had to have a punt return late in the game, so we know he didn't leave the stadium. But uh, nonetheless, I thought Jacory. My impression is that Jacory is finding a way into the rotations, and he hasn't sort of broken through, and he's not up kind of up there where Trayshawn is or Burton, uh, who themselves are not, you know, demonstrating to be great shapes at this point. So I think nearly almost anyone in the roster who knows the playbook uh, can emerge and become a go-to one or two uh, receiver. And uh, I think Ja'Cory Brooks may be trying to battle into that position. So that's going to be interesting as JoJo Earl comes back, as Tyler Harrell uh, comes back from injury. It's going to be interesting uh, how they uh, how they carve out uh, roles for themselves as well. And I'm highly confident that what we see is Alabama fans weeks one, two, and three when we get to week seven, eight, and nine, the, the the offense will be significantly different on the back of the the transition, the evolution that we see from the wide wide receiver positions. Though so this, so do not throw this baby out with the bathwater. Do not drain the tub and fill it up again, but uh, do not throw it out because these wide receivers are uh, as we get guys back from injury and as these guys continue to grow and evolve. Uh, this offense, I think, is is going to is is really going to platform. It's, it's going to sort of really pl- re-platform itself. And uh, the wide receivers who who you could argue are not carrying their weight at this point in time are going to be explosive weapons as the season moves forward. All right, I promise we're going to flip the field to defense, and we're going to do just that. I thought Alabama defense, with the exception of maybe one drive, which came off of fourth down play that uh, I think even Saban acknowledges he probably shouldn't have called. Uh, I thought the defense was outstanding. Four of 17, they allowed four of 17 on third down uh, conversions, and they allowed uh, Louisiana Monroe 169 total yards of offense, which uh, is a great performance, I would say, in sort of this era of football. And here's an interesting stat. You know, if we look at the 169 and we sort of break it up, uh, Alabama allowed 91 yards of passing and 78 yards of rushing. So they didn't break uh, the century mark in either phase of the game. But here's an interesting stat. Through three games, uh, Utah State had 79 yards of rushing. 
Texas had 79 yards of rushing and Louisiana Monroe had 78 yards of rushing. So it's, there's definitely a watermark there uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of rushing yards allowed by this Alabama defense. Uh, so it's interesting to see how that played out or how that will continue to play out. Alabama defense recorded four sacks after going sackless for much of the first two weeks, uh, four quarterback hurries and nine TFL. So they were really getting after uh, the quarterbacks. I want to call out a couple of players for their individual play. Uh, but we're certainly not going to drain. We're not going to drain uh, the the entire roster of players. Will Anderson. We're always nearly always going to talk about Will Anderson. I thought he had a uh, he did have a penalty again, but I thought he had he had a big day. Uh, he had a, uh, there was a, a not really a tipped ball, but the receiver uh, went to catch a ball, bounced uh, sort of bounced off his hands, off his helmet, off his shoulder pads. Uh, sort of clunky uh, receiver play there. And uh, the ball careened up into the air, and Will Anderson was able to, to pull it in and uh, rush for uh, or return it for a touchdown, pick six, 25 yards. Got a little bit of stiff arm there, so that was fun to see. He also, on the day, had a sack and uh, a tackle for loss. So Will Anderson uh, doing Will Anderson things. Uh, certainly nice to see. DeMarco Helms just continues to play smooth and easy. Nine tackles. And here's the biggest thing. Here's what I want to call out. Uh, for DeMarco Hellams. And this is, you know, go back for the last couple of seasons, we've, we've talked about DeMarco. We like DeMarco, but he's been a little bit of an enigma. He's been a little bit of an accounting problem. You know, it's it's been a, let's look at uh, his debits and credits. Let's look at his uh, assets and liabilities. And let's see where he sort of balances out in the ledger. Does he deserve to play? Yes, but man, he's got these uh, these liabilities over here. And we're good for one a game, and that's been true the last uh, couple of seasons. And he really seems to have, uh, and for that reason, we platooned him two, two years in a row. Uh, we platooned uh, Demarco Hellams, and it looks like he has really cleaned up his balance sheet. Uh, I don't see any liability in his play uh, to this point. Uh, he's still the sort of the hitman. I don't like the nickname, but he's still a very physical tackler. And uh, I've seen him improved in coverage. His instincts are better. I don't want to say that he was uncomfortable on the field last year, but he certainly looks more comfortable this year uh, in terms of where to line up, how to make the plays, how to get into coverage. And so can't say enough good things about uh, DeMarco Hellams. Hellams is going to be one of those poster child guys. He could have gone pro, would have been drafted third, fourth, fifth round, and uh, and would have had a good career because he he's that ty- he's that style of athletic. But he's going to come back, and I'm not going to predict that he's going to be a, a first-rounder, but he might be a second rounder where he's he he would have been a fourth rounder. He might be an early third where he would have been a fifth. And so DeMarco Hellams is going to be a textbook of come back, soak up all of this coaching and opportunity that you have under Saban uh, at Alabama, and it's going to better your draft opportunity. So DeMarco Hellams, certainly that kind of player. Henry Toa Toa, uh, you know, he is making a lot of tackles uh, all over the field, sideline to sideline. Uh, he's a very active player and in on a lot of things, even if his numbers don't always show it. And that's just a hallmark of a good player. It's certainly a hallmark of a good defense when you have more than one guy that you can say that about. And I think Alabama has four or five of those. But Toa Toa had eight tackles 
Uh, again, a very active player. Sticking at the linebacker position, Jalen Moody had six tackles. And I can't say enough about how he has come back and seized the opportunity. He uh, he almost left. He went into the portal. When Christian Harris left, he said, I'm going to stay because I want to stay. This is where I want to be. And if you tell me there's a chance, then I want to come back and compete for my position. And he has played like he doesn't want to let that possession go. Well, I'm going to tell you what. The scout team offense this week, uh, they had better watch out because Jalen Moody is going to be a man on the mission. And I say that because of this. Deontay Lawson, who we predicted would platoon with Jalen Moody. Deontay Lawson had a phenomenal game platooning with Jalen Moody. Uh, Lawson had five tackles to Moody six, and uh, Lawson also had a, a pass deflection. So now in a preseason, I, I kept seeing Des Moines Kennedy, and I was saying all the things, and I was saying Des Moines Kennedy. I've already done a correction on this, but I just want to emphasize this. Deontay Lawson is, is the player that we predicted would, would platoon. And on Saturday, that's exactly what happened. Now, our prediction there was not because we're mad at Moody, not even because we think he's a liability or needs to platoon like we used to say about Helms. I think it's it's down to body type and athleticism. Moody is a box forward linebacker, and I think Deontay, Deontay Lawson has the long sort of long speed or long-term physical not physicality, but uh, uh, athleticism, that he, he can play more box back. And so I think they're going to – I think the tight coaching staff will rotate or platoon the running backs based on down and distance and, and also the opponent. And so playing against the Warhawks, they're more of a four or five wide receiver set. Uh, Moody certainly saw plenty of time. And I think the style of play and the down and distance opportunity – afforded Lawson an opportunity uh, as well. And he acquitted himself uh, given those opportunities, which is Todd fans, we should celebrate. Every time we think we have two really good guys uh, at a position and the third one emerges, it creates the drama of what are we going to do? But it's only a drama if we let it be. And if, and if sort of the media types ask questions and, and, and sort of undermines players' confidence or, or players' roles. The coaching staff will try to find the right roles, the right circumstance. They want everyone to be successful. And Deontay Lawson, is, it's, it only benefits the team in the long term, and I think he's certainly that kind of player. So it's, that'll be another one. And, and, again, we sort of called this uh, – and I, I used to not say this as often, and now I'm not saying it as much now. But, um, you know, this is another one that, that we kind of called, and uh, it's exciting to see it unfold that way. And uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, how that continues to play out. I think all three of the linebackers, uh, and again, I'm, I'm counting really more middle linebackers, but uh, Hank, Jalen, and Deontay, uh, phenomenal players. And uh, it's going to be fun to watch how they evolve and what roles they carve into. I think Deontay could, we could see him out there some with Moody. So we're, we're spelling Henry. And so if we have more guys that can share the snaps, then that means all the guys can play deeper into the game with sort of a full a fuller tank of gas, which I think is phenomenal. Uh, I'm gonna hit one last one last player uh, before we do mini game ball on defense. And you just gotta stand on the table and clap your hands and give a head nod for uh, Terry and Arnold. Uh, we thought he might be a dark horse at the center position or at the cornerback position uh, while we were sorting injury with Eli Ricks and uh, Kyrie Jackson. And uh, I think we're probably now sorting suspect play and practice habits and uh, Terry and Arnold is playing. I read this somewhere and it really resonated with me. Terry and Arnold is playing like it means something to him. And I thought, you know, that's the best way uh, to, to characterize that. I knew I was going to talk about Arnold 
and uh, in his play and how satisfied we are in his play. And I thought that's the best way to sort of encapsulate it. Uh, it play he, it, He's playing like it means something to him. So, and clearly, certainly it does. And it's fantastic to see him uh, lock up that corner position opposite uh, Kool-Aid. All right, let's do mini game ball on defense. And we're going to give our mini game ball to Jaheim Otis. I isolated on him a couple of times from the stands with the binoculars. He's a big old boy. Uh, easily they throw double teams at him. He comes across the face of the offensive lineman to, uh, to sort of get the opposite side gap. Very strong, very physical. Again, I, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase Saban again, but, uh, you know, when Saban said, I'm not going to get all technical on you, I'm just going to tell you he's hard to block. Uh, we'll take as many of those guys as we can get across the front. Jaheim Otis absolutely is one of those. And on the day, now, again, we're going to talk about interior linemen. The Saban sort of defense isn't built for them to have big days, but sometimes they do. And uh, i tell you, a good stat line for an interior defensive lineman on on a Saban defense is what Jaheim Otis had. Is only two tackles, but he was in on half a sack and got him uh, uh, credited for a quarterback hurry. And so, uh, and, and Jaheim Otis is a true freshman. So when all the recruiters say freshmen don't play at Alabama, they are just making stuff up. All right, let's flip to special teams. We need a whole section to talk about special teams because there's been some phenomenal play on Saturday. I'm going to tell you what, a block punt early in the game. I think within uh, the first four or five minutes of the game, maybe not quite that fast, but six or eight, it was just an incredible, uh, just an explosion. Uh, Alabama had an offensive touchdown, a defensive touchdown, and a special teams touchdown, not in that order. Uh, but it was 21 to nothing with three flavors of uh, touchdowns in the first quarter. And I think uh, the Tide uh, exited the, the first quarter with 28 points of so four touchdowns. It's almost impossible to do. Uh, but when you get a pick six and a, and a pump block return for a touchdown, uh, that's, that's those are easy ways to get quick, uh, fast touchdowns. But nonetheless, you block a punt. Uh, Ja'Cory Brooks blocked it. Uh, so we talked about him having a, a phenomenal day. And uh, Malachi Moore, uh, scoop and scoring. So he was credited with a three-yard punt return, uh, which is glorious. But uh, that's phenomenal. That's always fun to see. You go to a game and you see a, a kick block. That's just a lot of fun. And um, so that was uh, that's extra icing on the on the cake, if you will. So that was certainly fun to see. Uh, Alabama racked up 262 yards of punt returns. And if you don't think that's a big number, that is a record that has been on the books since I, I want to say it was 1947 when Alabama played LSU. Uh, so yes, that's a big number uh, for all the quality punt returners we've seen. That's a big ass number that was put up. And there's so many. I want to tip my hat to so many different players for contributing on those. But I want to park on Kool-Aid. Uh, he had quite a number of carries. Uh, I think he had five punt returns uh, for a buck, uh, a buck thirty-six, and he looked so good returning the kicks. Uh, he was fluid in a way, and I'll use that term probably more than I should. But when I think of when I think of when I think of a player that just doesn't is is his cuts aren't violent. They're not aggressive. They're just smooth and silky easy. I think a fluid like like water finding its way downhill. It dances a little bit and it cuts back and forth, but it's not aggressive. It's just it's just finding its way. And Sean Alexander was a player that I felt that way about. And Eddie Jackson was a player when he would run an interception. He looked really good in a, in a broken field. And when we moved him to punt returner, 
and he uh, saw he, he was able to get opportunities there. It was very similar. He was just water finding his way. Uh, there's no violence in his run. It's just smooth and easy. And over time, it's it's always going to win. And that's how that that's how Kool Aid McKinstry looked Saturday in his punt returns. And so uh, he wasn't able to return one to the house, but he's just inches away from breaking several. And he netted with 136 yards, talking about flipping the field and uh, really putting the offense in a, in a good position. Those types of yards. I think Saban's right. You know, however you get the yards, uh, a little bit in this phase of the game, a little bit in another phase of the game. But when you add up, uh, you know, uh, 100 yards, that typically translates into, into a touchdown. And so when you average 20 yards, 25 yards on punt returns, you're setting your offense up with a shorter field. You're helping flip the field, put their defense, if you do have to punt, put their their team further back. Brian Branch was another punt returner that had a phenomenal day. He only had one, but he went 68 yards to the house, and he just found the edge and powered forward with his speed. Isaiah Bond had, had one for 34, and uh, we talked about Gibbs and his uh, 57. James Burnup snuck in two punts somewhere in the game uh, for 84 yards. He had a long of, of 47. I thought he looked good. And Will Reichert, you almost can't say enough of good uh, about uh, good things about Will Reichert. Uh, he was 9 for 9 on his PATs, and he kicked nearly every one of his kickoffs into the end zone uh, to the extent that I think he was actually Louisiana Monroe's best special teams player because they netted 25 yards every time every time he kicked the ball. Uh, had they returned those, they would not have done as as well. So there you go. All right, let's talk about next up and Alabama hosts Vanderbilt in Bryant Denny to kick off the SEC slate. Vanderbilt is three and one or uh, three and one, uh, two and one at this point in the season. So that's good for them. They don't often make it this far into the season uh, with a running, winning record. So go doors, uh, at least in that regard. Uh, so far, they have they've demonstrated a very mobile quarterback. And they have also demonstrated a porous D uh, against, I would say, uh, uh, an inferior level of, of competition. So I think Alabama is going to ease into the SEC schedule, which that's great. And uh, I am predicting a 42-10 to 10, uh, style game. Again, it's hard to predict a, uh, a shutout. But I think this Alabama offense is certainly rolling, uh, as does the defense. With that, we're going to call it a wrap. Definitely check us out on your iTunes or podcast download machines and uh, leave us a review. If there's any questions, don't uh, hesitate to reach out and talk to us as well. We're on the Facebooks. We're on the Twitters. We are at alabamafootballpodcast.com and uh, on the interwebs as well. With that, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a roll tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, t-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide.